Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, how many of you, be honest, how many of you have all of your Christmas shopping done? Raise your hand. Okay. You're overachievers, and you make me sick. Uh, okay. Okay. How many of you have not even started your Christmas shopping? Okay. Me neither. Okay. So tomorrow morning, I'm going to be flying around Muncie uh, trying to do all of it in the morning if I can. So watch out, okay? Uh, Hey, we do want to encourage you to actually invite someone. This little card that was in your program is not for you to keep or to throw away, but it is to actually invite someone uh, to come on uh, uh, Christmas Eve. So we would love for you, uh, friends, neighbors, co-workers, whoever, to come and to be a part of Christmas Eve. Okay? You got it? Good, good, good. All right. Well, we're in uh, part three of our series called uh, Elevate Our Worship. And our entire time, we've been talking about how do we increase our worship of God. And the whole Christmas story really is a story of how we go about, uh, or the whole Christmas story is characters coming to celebrate and to worship the Christ child. And I'm uh, really encouraged that many of you have elevated your worship in the first couple of weeks, and we want to continue to do that uh, today. And I want us to begin by looking at a passage of Scripture that we've looked at each time. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 2, and this is what it says. Um, It'll come up on the side screens, or you can follow along. It says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi, uh, which means wise men, the wise men, they came from the east to Jerusalem And ask, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? When we saw his star, when it rose, and have what? What's it say? Yeah, we have come to worship. We have come to worship. So the wise men came to worship. The shepherds came to worship. The uh, angels, when they came, they came to worship. Now, why do you think you're here today? To worship. Some of you are like, the donuts. That's why, that's why I'm here. No, no, no. You are here to not worship the donuts, but to worship Christ. That's why uh, you're here today. And so each week of our Christmas series, we've looked at different postures of worship. In week number one, we talked about, if you weren't here, in week number one, we talked about Raising our hands or lifting our hands up to God in worship. In uh, week two, we talked about bringing gifts as an act of worship. And today, what I want to talk about is how we pour out our hearts to God in worship. How we pour out our hearts to God in worship. Now, some of you are here this morning and you're getting ready uh, for Christmas and Your life is filled with gratitude and blessings of God. You are really, really excited, 
and life couldn't be better. Everything is up and to the right. Things are going really, really well for you, and that's where you're at. And you are looking forward to pouring out your hearts to God. Now, others of you, if you were honest, you would say that you're just kind of blah, that you're not really high, you're not low, you're just kind of going through the motions. And I want you to know that this season also, though, can be an opportunity for you to pour out your heart to God. Now, some of you are here today, and you're going through a difficult time. You're going through some tough stuff. And you might be able to mask that really well for everyone in the family or at work, but the reality is you're going through something tough. And today, I want to give you an opportunity that you can also pour out your heart to God. There may be someone that was here last year that isn't here this year, and you're going through that pain, that struggle. Others of you, maybe you got a bad medical report, and you don't know what's going to happen, and you're afraid of it. Others of you, you're trying just to get through it financially. You don't even know how Christmas is going to actually come across, or you're going to swipe that card and get in more debt, and you're struggling to think, how are we going to get beyond this? Others of you are in a very difficult relationship right now, and you just don't know what the future holds. Well, today, if you're in the middle of a hard time, I think this message will be very important to you to understand that even in the midst of that, you can pour out your heart to God. You can cry out to Him. Because the reality is, is that God cares about you more than anything in this world. He cares about you more than anyone else. And He wants to be present with you. Now, as we pour our hearts out to God, I think the person in the Bible that we can look to to help us understand how to do this best is a guy by the name of David. And we see this in a particular psalm we're going to look at today in Psalm 142. And Psalms is just an entire book of the Bible that deals with worship itself. Now David is at a very, very low point when he writes these words we're going to look at. And he says this. And let's all say out loud these first three words out loud together. I pour out. Let's say it again. I pour out. I pour out, he says, before the Lord my complaint. Did you know it's okay to complain to God? Some of you are like, that's the only conversation I have with God. <laughs> right? But it's okay. It's okay to complain. He's, he's big enough to handle whatever complaint that you have. Um, some of you might be saying, God, why aren't you doing what I need you to do in my marriage right now? I just don't know if this marriage thing is going to last. Why aren't you working and making it happen? God, financially, right now, I'm a wreck. I just don't know how I'm going to make it through. God, where are you in the midst of this? Or maybe you have some kids right now, and they're rebelling big time. They've been disconnected from you, and 
And you're wondering to yourself, you know, God, why do they do what they do? And it's not disrespectful, folks, to share your complaints with God. He's like, I understand. I get it. I pour out my complaints, David said, before I tell my trouble. And then what does he do next? He says, I cry to you, Lord. And then the next thing, he calls God something very, very special. He says this, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Now, David uses this same phrase in another passage of Scripture in the same book in Psalm 62.8. And he says this, Trust in the Lord at all times, you people. Then what does he say? He says what? Pour out your hearts to him. Pour out your hearts to him. He says, cry out in depth to him. For God is what? What's it say? For God is our For God is our refuge. You know, in David's day, they had established six cities in Israel that were called refuge cities. These were cities that if you accidentally killed someone in that culture, you were in a dangerous place. Someone was coming after you. And if something happened uh, where someone fell into a hole or uh, someone was uh, stomped by uh, your, uh, you know, animals, that you would go to one of these cities and you would find refuge and then justice would prevail. But if you didn't find one of those cities, often uh, you would be killed. And as David is crying out to God, with this understanding behind him, he realizes that God is his refuge. That God is his safe place. You know, children often have a safe place. How many of you as kids had a safe place? Anyone want to raise their hand? Okay. Just because you're a guy doesn't mean you're not manly anymore if you had a little place, okay? So, uh... Because everyone does. Now, some people, their safe place is the closet when they're a kid. Other people, they'd never go to the closet. Why? Because the monsters live in the closet, right? That's where the monsters are. Now, for me, my safe place was underneath my parents' bed with this guy right here. Zip. And me and Zip would get underneath my parents' bed. Now, I really don't know why we got underneath that bed, because it was full of dust and spiders. But for some reason, that felt safe uh, to me. And so that's where uh, we would go underneath that. Now, what's interesting is as you get older, many times you don't have a safe place, but you want to be connected to a person who is safe. You hang out with a person that's safe. When I started high school, I went from uh, one high school to another high school starting my ninth grade year. So I had been raised in one community up till eighth grade, and then I uh, came to high school, and I was brand new. I, had, uh, I didn't know anybody. And sometimes when you are the new kid, uh, other people, uh, you know, take advantage of that. And I remember sitting in algebra class, and Ken Norris sat right behind me, and he would take his finger like this and go, bang, right to the back of my head. And he would call me names, and he was a lot taller than me and bigger than me, and, and he started to threaten me that he was going to beat me up. Now, if you're a new kid and you don't know anyone, like you don't have a posse 
you know, you don't have a gang that can take him out, and someone wants to beat you up, you're, you're scared most of the time. And for the first couple of weeks, I was that way. Now, there was one thing that was on my side, and that was I played on the football team. Now, I wouldn't say I played so much as I just sat on the bench and cheered everybody else on. But I was on the team, and I got real close to a guy named Larry the Terminator. Larry was six foot two, 250 pounds, and he was our middle linebacker. Now, rumor had it that he was on steroids. And because he was on steroids, he might just snap and kill somebody, you know? And I got really good friends with Larry. And uh, wherever Larry was at in the school, that first semester of my freshman year, I was in his shadow. I mean, I was right with Larry. And whenever Ken, the guy that would flick me in the back of the head and would name call and say those kind of things, whenever I would see him in the hallway and, uh, you know, he'd kind of look at me, I got really big and ferocious when Larry was beside me, and I'd be like, so look who I'm with. You want some of this? You know? And uh, I was like, you want to deal with the Terminator? And Ken, surprising thing, I don't know if Larry actually beat him up or not, but Ken never messed with me the rest of the semester. He just went on uh, his own way. My safe place, folks, in my first year of high school, was with Larry the Terminator. And the reason was because I felt safe. You know, as you go through life, if you have kids, one of the things that you'll find is that you become a safe place for them. When we have bad storms and there's thunder and lightning and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff going on, when that takes place, immediately my two girls will run from their room into my room with my wife and I. And when they do that, they do that because they think it's a safe place. Now, let me ask you a question. Is our room any safer than their room? No. Why do they feel that? Because we're there. We're there. I mean, if they get scared by a monster... or they're afraid of the dark, or they have a bad dream, they run in there because everyone knows that monsters don't live in the parents' room, right? They only live in their room. Now, why have I spent about five to seven minutes talking about this? Some of you are like, yeah, I'd like to know. (laughs) And this is it. It's because for you and me, When we're afraid, when we're anxious, when we're worried, God wants to be our safe place. God wants to be our refuge. And all we have to do is call out to him. All we have to do is pour our hearts out to him. And he says, I'll be your safe place. Folks, I love it. When a storm comes, because I know my girls are going to run into our room. Why? Because I love to feel needed. All of us, regardless of who we are, we love to feel needed. You love to feel needed. I love to feel needed. And you know who else loves to feel needed? Your Heavenly Father. Your Heavenly Father loves to be needed by you 
his children. He loves when you pour out your hearts to him. Because the reality is, folks, you can't fake God out. He already knows what's on your mind before you're going to say it. And he's just praying that you'll be honest and sincere enough to say what that is. So for the rest of our time, what I want to do is just look at two things you must do as you pour out your heart to God. The first is this. As you pour out your heart to God, you remember God's faithfulness to you in the past. You remember God's faithfulness to you in the past. As you cry out to God, you remember His goodness. You remember His faithfulness to you. In Psalm 42, uh, most scholars believe that David wrote this. And (laughs) as he's writing this, uh, he's in the middle of a very difficult time. His son, Absalom, has created all kinds of chaos and has rebelled. And I have a feeling that some of you this morning, you know what that's like to have a kid that rebels. Or maybe a kid that's rebelling right now. And in the middle of all of this rebellion and everything that's going on, uh, the people come to David and they say, well, this is why God's not going to listen to you. This is why he's going to reject you. David, God has turned his back against you. And David is at a very low point in his life. And in verse 3, he says this. My tears have been my food day and night. Do you ever feel like that? You ever cry yourself to sleep? You ever hurt so much that you don't even know what to say? You ever feel like you're totally alone. My tears have been my food. He says, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? In other words, this God that you're serving, if he's so great and he's doing everything, where is he? Because your life, your circumstances don't seem like he's around. Sometimes you may feel like, where is my God? Then in verse 4, which is the key part of this verse, he says this. David says this. These things I, and say it with me, these things I what? These things I remember. I remember. And let's say this next thing out loud together. These things I remember as I what? As I, yeah, as I pour out my soul. These things I remember as I cry out to God. These things I remember as I pour out my soul to God. These things I remember. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive thrones. And here you almost see him switch gears in this part of the teaching. And he kind of begins to start preaching to himself. He says this. Because these things I remember, why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? He tells himself, put your hope in God, for yet I will praise him, my God and my Savior. I don't know about you, but every now and then, when I'm crying out to God, I've got to recall God's faithfulness to me in the past. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. Sometimes I have to preach myself. 
these words. Because sometimes I get discouraged. In fact, this week, I was discouraged about something, and I would talk to my wife for a little bit, and that helped for a while. But I just went back to work, and I still felt very discouraged. And I started telling myself, Chris, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you. He has been with you in the past, and he will be with you right now with this discouragement that you're feeling. And I had to preach myself up to be able to say, put your hope in God. At the end of the celebration, I want to give each one of you an opportunity to pour out your hearts and souls to God. To say, God, I don't understand. Or, this doesn't make sense to me right now what I'm going through. Why aren't you doing what I think you could or should do? Where are you, God? I was just thinking about three people that I know uh, in my own life. One guy uh, is an educator, and he's going through a lot of tough stuff right now. And uh, as I talked with him this week, I could just hear how he was struggling, and he was pouring out his heart to God. I think of another person who lost his daughter this week. A huge struggle. He's pouring out his heart to God. I think of a young couple who uh, their car broke down and they had to go find a new car and they had no idea how they were going to take care of that. And again, something else hit. And yet for all of these people, they were pouring out their hearts to God. And yet as we do this, folks, what we have to do is remember God's faithfulness from our past. As he has always been there before, he will be with you even what you're going through right now. You know, the reality is some of you need to think back about where God has been with you in the past when you first met him. That very first time that you came to him and you said, God, this is how messed up I am and this is where I'm at. And God, would you forgive me of this gigantic sin in my life? And you felt the the presence of God. And you felt that the sin of your life that had weighed you down actually was taken off your shoulders. You need to remember that time that God answered a prayer. You you prayed a prayer and, and you know there was no way that this prayer would ever be answered unless God showed up. It was like an only God kind of prayer. And he showed up and the miracle took place. And you're like, oh my God, because of this, because of this, I thank you for your faithfulness. Some of you can remember maybe a healed relationship. You thought this relationship, maybe it was with your parent. Maybe it was with someone in your family, a friend. And you thought it was unrepairable. There was no way it would ever get repaired. And the two of you got together and God did a miracle with both of your hearts. Remember a time when you felt all alone and you finally said, well, I'm just going to open up the Bible. And you went to a passage of scripture, maybe for the first time or maybe for the 20th time. But when you opened up that scripture, it was as if those words were actually speaking directly to you from God. And you were like, oh, God, you were so faithful in the midst of that. Remember a time when you walked into church and there was a teaching or there was a message in which God, uh, the, the teacher spoke, and all of a sudden you're like, man, that was just for me. People will come up to me all the time at the end of the celebration and they'll come up and they'll be like, hey, were you like in my house this week? 
And I'll be like, no, why? And they're like, well, you spoke directly to me. And I'm like, I don't sit here going, oh, by the way, I'm going to look at this person, that person. I'm going to do a message just for them. No, 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 no. Sometimes, have you had that experience where you're in church and a message is taught and you're sitting there and all of a sudden it just feels like it's you and God and as the words come, it's directly toward you. You know, whenever I'm kind of pouring out my heart to God and I'm saying, God, I I don't understand. I don't get this, God. I try to force myself to remember the times that he has been faithful for me. Like 20-odd years ago, I remember being at a uh, retreat center. And it was there for the first time in my life at the age of 24 that I sensed that God really forgave me of everything in my life. That some of the stuff I did in college that created a lot of pain for a lot of people and some of the things I did that dishonored him, that in that moment I understood grace for the first time, that there was nothing I could do to make God love me more and there was nothing I could do to make God love me less, that God loved me as is. I remember in college, God putting this beautiful young woman in my life, my uh, future wife, Jennifer, glory be to God. And... I mean, if you've ever seen her and how beautiful she is, and then you look at me, you're like, this is the miracle above miracles, above miracles, above miracles. In fact, I was thinking about it this week. It's like the resurrection, the birth of Christ, and Jennifer chose Chris, you know? It's like the third miracle that that is. And 13 years later, we weren't ever sure we were going to have children, but 13 years later, baby, we reproduced. And... uh, we had a child, and as, as Jennifer was pregnant, and we were looking forward to this child being born, we were praying, God, would you just please give us a healthy child? No matter what, we want a healthy child. And Jennifer went in, and uh, it was a difficult, difficult labor. And when uh, Jordan was born, they had this score called an Abgar score. And she was a one out of, ten, out of ten. And I remember them calling Code Pink. And all of a sudden, all these people came in, and they're working on my daughter, and my wife's over here, and only her heart was working at that point. And yet God, who had been so faithful to us, used those people and through his power, And within five to ten minutes, Jordan was doing extremely well and everything came back. And I remember in that moment just thinking, thank you, God, so much for being so faithful to the prayers that we prayed. And then two years later, we decided to have a a second little girl. And Jen was really nervous, like, you know, is this the same thing going to happen? And... uh, the doctor came in, and there was a nurse there, and it's time for the delivery. And I was like, you need to call some more people in here. Like, what is the problem? And they're like, this is what a normal delivery is like. I was like, oh, okay. And Shiloh was born, and we were given two healthy children, such a, such a gift from God. I remember in our marriage one time, uh, Jennifer, who my wife's a physician, and she had uh, 
you know, been with many women before that had gone through breast cancer, and she found a lump on her breast. And I remember thinking, you know, that's some big deal. We'll go on, and she goes, no, 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 the way that it feels, the way that it is. And they did a mammogram, and it was inconclusive, and it brought all this fear and worry into her, and we weren't sure exactly what was going on, and we prayed, God, would you be faithful? God, would you, would you do this? And once again, God came through and helped us in the midst of that. I think of when we first started the jar and we outgrew any particular house that we were in, but we didn't have money to buy a church building. And I walked into the Y just kind of on a hunch and walked in. And the very first door when you walk in to the left was the director's door. And I walked in, I said, hey, we, we need a place. And we only have about 20 people. We just kind of need the upstairs. But could that happen? And on a handshake, folks, the director at that time said, yeah, that's good. And I praise God for the fact that we have this facility that we're able to use it because of so many lives that have been transformed through the power of Christ. I remember when the church grew to about 150 adults, but we didn't have enough chairs and there was no money for chairs. And this woman recently had lost her husband and she came up to me and she said, I want to buy a hundred chairs. I'm going to cash in some of my husband's life insurance money so that the church can have chairs. And so some of you today, you're sitting in chairs because of a woman who had faithfulness to God and God was faithful to us. I remember when we uh, decided to go to two celebrations. And there were some naysayers in our leadership team. And they're like, ah, it'll never work. You shouldn't do that. Why are you doing that? And I just felt like if we did that, it would allow more space for people to come and to know the one true God. And God showed up and he was so faithful in the midst of that. I remember just last year when I got the pink slip from our uh, office where all the staff are at. They weren't going to renew our lease. We had no idea where we were going to go. But we decided that we thought it was more efficient to use dollars to have our own space rather than continuing to lease space. And so we went out and we did this huge search and we tried to figure out exactly what it was. And we looked at 20 different buildings and none of them worked. And I was getting discouraged, and I was just like, we just got to make a decision. And there was this one building that needed a lot of work, and it was going to take a lot of effort and time. And so we went there, and I just said, well, just go ahead and do it, because we, I want something for our staff. I want something for our church. And have you ever had an experience before where you wanted something, but God didn't give you what you wanted, but he gave you what you needed, and it was exactly the right thing? And that particular building would have been an albatross. I remember sending an amount to our trustees to say, well, this is what we'll do. And if they would have accepted that amount, folks, we would have had a crappy building. And God said, no. And the people came back and they didn't do that. And then we prayed more. And then all of a sudden this building opened up for exactly what we felt like God wanted for us now. But in the future, as we're able to impact our community in greater ways, and it was exactly on time. Because sometimes, folks, the things that you want aren't the things that you need and are not the things that God will get the most glory in the midst of what that is. Folks, you cry out to God. You do it. 
you tell him. You pour it out. You go, God, I don't understand this. I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't seem like there's a way. But as you do, you look back to where God has been faithful to you in the past. I can't tell you how many times I've been going through something when all of a sudden there's something in a season of my mind that I hate. I absolutely hate what the circumstance of my life is in that moment. But later on, I can look back at that and I can see exactly where God's plan and his purpose was in the midst of all that. Remember the faithfulness of God. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. And when you cry out, it eventually turns from a plea to a praise to what he has done from the past. Second thing, you trait or you trust in God's power for your future. You remember God for his faithfulness in the past and you trust God for his power for your future. Psalm 102, the psalmist is at a very, very low point. Some of you probably can relate to him of where he's at in the midst of this. And so the writer pours out his heart to God. And I want you to listen to his honesty to his sincerity, to how he cries from the depths of his heart. And in verse 1, he says this. (coughs) Hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I'm in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. In my distress... I groan aloud, and I am reduced to skin and bones. Then verse 7, which some of you, you can relate to this right now. I lie awake. I can't sleep. My mind is so heavy at night. I become like a bird alone on a roof. All day long, my enemies taunt me. And then these are these next three words. These three words make the difference of everything that you can imagine. For some of you, these three words are the reason why you're here today. These three words, they change everything. They change everything for you. If you can get to this point, these are the three words. That when my life is falling apart, I am not able to understand. I cry out to God from the depths of my soul. My enemies taught me. And then it says, but you, Lord. But you, Lord, but you, God, I don't understand, but you, God, are faithful. I don't have the ability, but you, God, are powerful to meet. I feel all alone, but you, God, are faithful. I don't know what's going on, but you, God, but you, Lord, are there. But you, Lord... Sit enthroned forever. You are still on the throne. When you're going through tough circumstances, God has not left the throne. He has not left his power. His power is present and ready with you. Your renown endures through all generations. My God, he will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. Some of you this morning, you're about to have a but you God moment. A but you God moment. You're going to cry out. 
You're going to pour out your heart to God. You're going to complain. You're going to be honest. You're going to say, this is the way it is, God, right now where I'm at. You're going to let it rip from the depths of your heart. I do not understand God. And from the pit of your pain and where you're struggling at, you will push through your pain to a point of praise. Let me say that again. At some point, you will push through your pain to a point of praise. God, I, I don't understand it. God, I don't like it. God, I didn't sign up for this. God, I didn't choose this. God, I wish it were some other way. Oh, but you, Lord, you are still in charge. You are still on the throne. Your purposes and plans are still in place. You have plans to bless me and take care of me, to prosper me, not to give harm, but to give me a future. But you, Lord, you are working all things together for good. Even the circumstances in my life that don't seem good right now, you're working through all of those, God, so that you would be able to care for me, that you would be able to love me according to your purpose. Today, the reality is some of you are here today and someone in your life who you loved is not here today. And it hurts like hell. And it's unimaginable. And you cry out to God. You cry out and you push through your pain to a point praise. Some of you financially, you're a wreck. You're just like, I don't even know how this thing is going to work. But you push through your pain to a point of praise. Maybe some of you feel totally rejected today. You feel totally rejected that no one is on your side whatsoever. But you push through your pain to a point of praise. Maybe some of you, you have some medical issues. But you, oh God, you're my healer. You can still heal people. I've seen you do it. In the name of Jesus is above every other name. Some of you are afraid right now and you're fearful and you don't know what is next to come. But you, oh God, you will never leave me. You will never forsake me. You will never walk away from me. But at some point, folks, what you have to do is you can plead to God forever. But at some point, you move from pleading to praising God. And I don't understand how it happens, but it happens. And when we get to that point, we're able to expect something that we would never understand. I mean, in the middle of your cries, suddenly you realize, as I'm crying out, I'm talking to the God of the universe, the one who created everything, who knows everything that's going in my life. And he loves me. He cares for me. He'll never walk away. When everyone else walks away, God will be present with you. Folks, you need to know that when you're brokenhearted, that God is closest to you in that moment. And when you know this, your plea then actually turns to praise. Because he is a good God. And he is worthy. He is worthy of all praise. So you push through your pain to a point of praise. And suddenly, you stop pleading. And you just start worshiping God. 
And so right now, I just want to take a moment for you to connect with the God of the universe. We're going to turn the lights down so that you just have a moment, just you and God, that you can quiet yourself and allow yourself to be open to God speaking to you. And so I'm going to invite right now uh, all of you to just uh, close your eyes. And like I said, they'll uh, turn the lights off here. And I'd like you to just uh, quiet yourself in the midst of uh, this moment. And maybe right now you're you're at a place where uh, you're uh, you're hurting. Maybe it's something with your job. Maybe it's something with your health or with someone else's health. Someone that you love. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe you're just mad just in general because of what you're struggling with. With every eye just kind of closed, if you would say right now, Chris, I'm hurting. I'm hurting. I'm, I'm fearful. Would you just raise your hand? No one needs to see it, but if you could just raise your hand. Say, Chris, I'm hurting. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I'd like to pray for you right now. God, I thank you that you are a loving God. And you know the intimate details, God, of every single person who raised their hand. And God, I pray that through your Holy Spirit that you would do something that you can only do. That you would give your peace in their pain. God, just as my heart hurts for my own children when they're hurting, I know, God, for people who are hurting this morning, because they're your kids, that your heart hurts for them. Comfort each person, God. Give them the freedom right now to just pour out their hearts to you and to be honest as they can. And that they would turn their pain to a posture of worship and praise to you. God, I pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, I pray that you would be a mountain-moving God for people who are hurting right now. That you would heal the sick, that you would restore broken relationships. God, do what only you can do so that your name would be made great. We thank you in advance, God, for how you will move. In Jesus' name.